And in Hebrews chapter 10, right, we're encouraged to go forward, to not draw back, but we are those who believe, who live by faith, right? That should be our heart. Chapter 11, it gives us the incredible men of faith, women of faith. Chapter 12, it reminds us that we are running in a race, right? That this isn't the lazy river of Christianity, right? It's not the lazy boy of our faith. It's a battle. It's a race. It's a marathon. As we look through all the different scriptures, the different words for race, it's, it's exhausting. It's an Ironman triathlon, right? It's just exhausting to be able to be in this walk and race. But yet when we abide with Christ, we're able to do it. Because it's not in our own flesh, it's not of our own works, but it's Christ living in us and through us by faith. And then we don't have to be exhausted, right? We don't have to be looking like a wet rag everywhere we go, right? We can have the joy of the Lord. We can have the excitement. We can have the encouragement of following Jesus in the midst of a crazy season of life. But yet we can still have that joy. We can still have that gratitude. And there in the middle of Hebrews chapter 12, right, we were encouraged from our dad or, or maybe our coach in verse 12, right, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. That we need to, to get up. If we haven't been running well, if our body's out of joint, we need to get up and we need to do what God has commanded us to do to be able to run worthy, right, of our faith. Run worthy of Christ. Run worthy of the person who we're following. It's not Zach. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. The person who we're following through this race is Jesus Christ himself. In verse 2, he's the one we're looking at. He's the one we're following it's Jesus. And if there was a man who knew what it meant to be tired or exhausted, if there was a man that constantly was drawing away to go and pray, constantly drawing away to spend time with the Lord, it was Jesus. There was times when he was tired and exhausted. Hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. We'll be able to rest and relax. And then he sees the multitudes. He sees the crowds. And he doesn't say, no, I'm tired. I'm weary. It says his heart broke for them, that he had to minister to them, that he had to love on them. And again, that's the race that we should be running. And then at last time we were together, we were warned of a man named Esau, right? That man named Esau, he loved his lenteja, right? He gave up his birthright for a bowl of red stew. He gave up everything for a bowl of red lentils. And yet it tells us there afterwards in verse 17, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And there's two great things for us to be reminded of here before we dive into verse 18 through the rest of the chapter. The first thing that we should be reminded of is it's not because the Lord did not allow Esau to repent. It's because Esau didn't really repent. Esau, he was just crying and he was seeking repentance through, what does it tell us? Through tears. It doesn't tell us that Esau, he went out and he grabbed the lamb and he set up an altar and he wept before the Lord being brokenhearted that he gave up the birthright for a bowl of beans. It tells us that he just sought it with tears. That afterwards he would go and he'd marry pagan women and then another pagan woman. And then he'd marry a woman within the family. The second thing for us to focus on, and it's going to be a common theme throughout the rest of the chapter, is that Esau was living for this world. Esau was living for his flesh. Because the birthright, he could really care less about it. The birthright, the first thing he gave up for the red beans, he could care less about it. Because the birthright was the spiritual role of the oldest son. That now he would be the spiritual leader of the home whenever dad passed away. But Esau, he didn't care about it. He'd rather have that bowl of red stuff than to be able to carry on the, the privilege and the honor and the blessing of being the spiritual leader of the home. 
of being focused on the spiritual things. But however, now when it talks about the blessing, he begins to cry. He begins to weep. Why? Because the blessing was something physical. It wasn't something spiritual. First and foremost, you'd have the spiritual blessing of being the new priest of the home, of being the spiritual leader of the home. But now the blessing would mean you'd get twice as much stuff as all of your younger brothers, right? And now when it came to the stuff, that is where Esau was brokenhearted. That is where Esau was weeping. That's where Esau was just broken and weeping before his dad, begging and pleading for him for a blessing. So now, family, where are we? Where are we? Which blessing are we looking and crying for? Which blessing are we really pleading for with the Lord? Where is our desire? Is it truly for the fleshly things of this world? Or is it for the spiritual things which will last not only in this day, but for all of eternity? That's what it's going to tell us at the end of the chapter that we read. We are looking for the kingdom which cannot be shaken. Family, we can already be... Sending things ahead of time. We can already be sending blessings ahead of time. We can already be storing up that bank account, that 401k that's for all of eternity. We can be throwing up stocks and Bitcoin up there, right? We can be doing that. But is that where our heart truly is? Saying, Lord, I am focused, I am fixed on the spiritual. Lord, I am focused and fixed for my family How sad it would be if I save all my family in their flesh, but yet they're damned to hell for all of eternity because it wasn't what was important. And now if we're honest today, what is our world telling us between the spiritual and the physical? It's telling us that the spiritual really isn't that important, right? It's not deemed as essential. Most churches, when they reopen, the world just says, oh, they want money, right? That's the first thing people say. Guys, it's a lot easier and cheaper to run church from a building with five people, right? And to have everyone here, but we don't get the blessing. We don't get the privilege. We don't get the iron sharpening one another. But yet the fleshly things of this world, trying to fix fleshly problems by fleshly means, hey, that's essential. That's important. We can't speak ill about that. But now when it comes to church, if we're honest, we have Christians, our own brothers and sisters saying, how selfish are you to have church? How selfish are you to be obedient to God's word? What's more important? Is it truly the spiritual things or the physical things? So now verse 18 through 21, Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us here. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. And to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. So that those who heard it begged. That the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. This is a tale of two mountains, right? This is a tale of two mountains. The first mountain proposed here to us is the mountain where God came after the people of Israel were freed from slavery. God came and he wanted to speak to them, right? And hopefully we're here and say, yeah, I want God to speak to me, right? I want God to speak to me. God, he freed the people of Israel after 400 years of slavery. He frees them. And wouldn't you think, yeah, I want to talk with God. Yeah, I want to spend time with God. He saved me generations. We've been praying for this. We've been begging for it. But let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. And we will see that the God of the Old Testament, the God who's still the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's quite a, uh, a fearsome fellow, right? He's a, a being that we would, we would die. We would freak out. There's people all the time that say they have meetings with God. They had dreams that God was present. God spoke to them in the room. Guys, if God would just open the roof and talk to us, I think we'd all drop dead, right? We'd all have heart attacks. Because that's basically what happened here with the people of Israel after praying for this freedom, after praying for being saved from slavery, after seeing God do the miracles, part the Red Sea, after seeing God move, when they begin to actually see God and his working, they all freak out. We go to Exodus chapter 19. 
And we'll read, we'll just read through it, verse 10 through 25. It tells us, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, and do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings, and there was lightning, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Again, check this out. Just to come and talk to God, first you're going to see the amount of cardio that Moses puts in here. He goes up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain. But he's up there and he's talking with God and he says, hey, they have to sanctify themselves for two days. 48 hours they have to be sanctified. You can't sin. You can't mess up for 48 hours. Then after that, you need to wash your clothes. You got to put on pure white linens. Husbands and wives, you can't have, even have intimacy during these three days because you can't risk defiling yourself. Then after that, we're going to put a boundary around the mountain. We're going to put up a fence around the mountain. And if you or any of your animals touch the mountain, we're either going to have to shoot it with an arrow or stone them to death. So don't, don't let little Fido run off and touch the mountain because then he's dead. Don't let your spoiled kid run and touch the mountain because then he's dead. Right? we got to put a fence up. This is just to talk to God. And now he comes, and like we've been hearing, right, there's thunder and lightning. And are you just calm and chill with thunder and lightning? Maybe from a distance, yeah, we think it's cool and it's fine. At the youth camp, we were, they were shooting bow and arrow, and then there was a huge thunder and lightning. And guess what? Everybody ran for the house in two seconds, right? If you've ever been in a pool, everybody's hanging out, everybody's having fun, and blah, 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 right? And then what happens? Everybody jumps out of the pool. They don't know how, but they jump three feet out of the pool all at once. And now they're coming to the mountain. Man, let's meet with the God that has saved us. Let's meet with the God that has freed us and our family, the God that has freed our children from slavery. And they're seeing thunder. They're hearing thunder, right? They're seeing lightning. Now it tells us that because the Lord descended upon it, that there was fire, that there was smoke, that the smoke, it wasn't like just a little bit. No, it was ascending like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole, the entire mountain, it quaked. It was shaking. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder. Now God is speaking to them and he's getting louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came upon Mount Sinai. He's not even there yet. Now he comes upon it on the top of the mountain. And the Lord, he calls Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, right? More cardio for Moses. Now he goes up to speak with God. And then in verse 21, the people, they're just around the mountain. Moses is the only one there in the presence of God. And now the Lord says to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord. And many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to them, the people, they cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you warned the saying, set bounds around the mountains and consecrate it. And then the Lord said to him, away, go down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses, he went down to the people, and now he speaks to them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 through 21, this is Moses. He speaks to them. He tells them of the Ten Commandments. He tells them of the law to appease God, to be right with God, that you can never break because then you're dead and you're done for. But in Exodus 20, verse 18, it tells us now all the people, they witnessed the thunder 
and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses, he drew near the thick darkness where God was. So again, now the author of Hebrews, right, back to full context, he's reminding them, hey, guys, we have not come to the mountain that we couldn't touch, that was burned with fire. We have not come to God in a relationship where we have to be fearful of our own lives, where we have to be fearful that God, he wants to speak to us, that God wants to talk to us. You see, the fear, we hear about the fear of God, right? And we constantly remind ourselves it's not a fear of being afraid. It's not a fear of being scared. It's a respect. It's a reverence, right? That you love someone so much, you care about them so much that you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to do something that would break your relationship and your friendship with them. You're so grateful and thankful for what they've done in your life that you're willing to give up secondary freedoms if it's just to bless them and to honor them. That's what that fear of the Lord means. But here the fear that the people of Israel had for God, it didn't lead to holiness. It didn't lead to intimacy. It didn't even lead to gratitude for what God had just done for them, freeing them from slavery for 400 years. It didn't even lead to changed hearts. Because what would happen, right, on one of Moses' cardio sessions, the next time he goes up the mountain, what happens? He starts hearing some drums. He starts hearing some music. And he goes, man, is there a war going on? And God goes, no, it's not a war. Sounds like they're worshiping. You better go down there right now. And right after seeing the Red Sea ripped apart, right after seeing all their enemies drowned right before them, right after seeing God leading them by a pillar of cloud, a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night, they all give up. They say, hey, God, he must have killed Moses up there, right? You've seen that lightning and thunder? There's no way he made it, right? He's at the highest point. There's no way he made it. He's dead. Aaron, what are you going to do for us? And now they make a cow, right? They make a calf out of their own gold, the gold that God had the Egyptians give to them. They make a cow and they say, this is the God that saved us. This is the God that freed us. This is the God that we've been praying to and that has saved our families after all these generations. And now the author of Hebrews is reminding them, hey guys, this is not where we're drawing to. This isn't the mountain that we're going to. The mountain that's just work after work after work. Some people, they want to live by the law, right? Some people, they want to resurrect the law because in their pride, it helps them feel much better about themselves and it helps them look down at other people. But we're not at this mountain at least I'm not at this mountain. I don't want to be at this mountain. We get to be at Mount Zion. We get to be in a different place, in a new relationship, in a new covenant that we'll look at in a moment. Let's turn there. Too important. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And family, this should be a reminder to us. The, the just complete fear and power. The might of God is not what draws men and women to repentance. Right, parents, your strength, your power, your loudness, that's not what's going to draw your kids to repentance or to want to be in a relationship and friendship with you. Right, husbands here, your mother-in-law, it's not going to be through your strength and power and loud voice and power of your home. That's not what's going to lead to a relationship and friendship with her. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it tells us, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, 
and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness, that is the kindness of God, leads you to repentance. Again, family, this is the mountain that I want to be at. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God that leads us to repentance. It's having a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, seeing all that God has done for us that leads us to repentance. To say, Lord, I'm sorry, not through tears, but I'm sorry through sacrifice, through believing in faith in Christ Jesus, and now there being fruit and works afterwards because of the love that we have for him. So these people, they were tempted to go back to living the old way. But the author of Hebrews, he's warning them, hey, you guys want to go back to the old way? You got to go back to that old God. Where if you just touch the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, you're dead, right? Poor guy with David. David says, hey, I got it. I, I, we're going to hook it all up. I'm going to make a little cart. We're going to take, right? We're going to take God everywhere with us. And everything's going to be okay. It's a lot easier than taking the Ark of the Covenant on our shoulders. Poor guy, it's about to fall off. He touches it. He drops dead right away. That was the God that they had to deal with. But now through Christ Jesus, we get to be a part of Mount Zion. We don't have to be a part of Mount Sinai. We can go back to Hebrews chapter 12. And there's differences between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. There's two differences. Again, one is shaken and being shaken. And there's one that will stand for all of eternity. We can read verse 18. It tells us, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. Right? That was the mountain that they were at. And verse 20, they could not endure it. They couldn't be there. They couldn't handle it. They were fearful. But now in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Family, are you here? Are you saved? Do you have a friendship, a relationship with God? You don't have to have that fear of coming to him. Even when you sin, even if you're in sin right now, there shouldn't be that fearfulness of coming to God because he's going to strike me dead or because I've done too much, I'm too deep in my sin. No, we should be coming to him, as we'll look at in a moment, with all boldness. And this is the joy and the blessing of Mount Zion. It tells us that we are already there. In verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. Family, we're not still trying to work to get there. Jesus, he's done all the work for us to be able to be there and meet on Mount Zion. Jesus already died at the cross. He paid all the work. Now we can rest in him. Now we can spend time with him. Now there's peace and joy and gladness as a result of the working of Jesus Christ on the cross. In the law, in Mount Sinai, it's nonstop work. And in nonstop work, guess what? There's no rest. There's no peace there. There's a constant worry. Am I doing enough? Did I mess up? Did I do this? Man, have I broken that? Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? That's not the relationship that God wants to have with us. And consider the contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. David Guzik, he gave us this. He says, Mount Sinai, it was marked by fear and by terror. But Mount Zion, it's a place of love and forgiveness. Mount Sinai, it was out there in the middle of the desert. But Mount Zion, it's the city of the living God. Mount Sinai, it spoke of earthly things, and yet Mount Zion, it speaks of heavenly things. At Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God, but at Mount Zion, an innumerable company, a general assembly, you and I are invited to draw near. We're encouraged to go boldly to that throne of grace. Mount Sinai, it was characterized by guilty men in fear. Mount Zion, it features just men made perfect through Jesus Christ. At Mount Sinai, Moses, he was the mediator between God and man. But at Mount Zion, Jesus is our mediator between God and us. Mount Sinai, it brings the old covenant which was ratified by the blood of animals. Having to sacrifice every time you mess up. But Mount Zion, it brings a new covenant which is ratified by the blood of God's precious son. Mount Sinai, it was all about exclusion, keeping people away from the mountain. 
But Mount Zion, it's all about an invitation, right? Will you accept me? Will you be my disciples? Hey, come and follow me, right? Mount Sinai, it's all about the law. But Mount Zion, it's all about grace. Family, which mountain do you want to be a part of? Which mountain is your life representing? As you talk with people, as you spend time with believers and unbelievers, are you revealing that you're a part of Mount Zion? Or are you revealing that you're a part of Mount Sinai? That you're just creating more laws, more rules, more regulations. That as God warned us about the Pharisees, we're making it harder and harder for people to come to God instead of the simple road that leads us to repentance. It's a simple road, but what? It's a narrow one, right? Narrow is the gate that leads to repentance, leads to eternal life, leads to the Lord. Wide is the road, wide is the gate that leads to damnation, to hell for all of eternity. But which mountain are we a part of? That's what the author of Hebrews is telling him. Hey, you're afraid because people are persecuting you? You're afraid because people think you're crazy? You're afraid because your relationship with Christ, it may cost you your friendships, your relationships, your businesses. You really want to go back to the old way, to the old religion? Remember, there's two mountains. There's Mount Sinai and there's Mount Zion. In John chapter 4, Jesus speaking with the woman at the well If you're quick, you could turn there. For the sake of time, I'll just read it. In John chapter 4, verse 21 through 24, Jesus tells the woman at the well, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we will worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking. God, he is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Again, that's the blessing, family. We don't have to go back to Mount Sinai, and we don't have to go back to the mountain, right? There in Israel to go to the Temple Mount to worship God. We can worship God here. You can worship God in your homes. You watching online, you can worship God in your homes. You can have communion there with your kids, with your family. That's the joy of Christ, that the Lord, he's looking at our heart. There's some men that they want to bring back the law. They want to go back to the old covenant. Are you going back to Jerusalem for every feast? Are you sacrificing there at the Temple Mount? Are you keeping all the laws, all the directives? Because that's what you have to do. But we have come to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion, it's a beautiful place. We go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, right? It tells us we've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, family, we who are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, we've already come to Mount Zion. Again, he's done all the work. He's prepared the gift. We just need to accept it, live in it, abide with him in it. Hebrews 4.16, I said it a ton of times. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need. Family, have you been down during the season? Have you been exhausted in the season? Have you been in sin and you just feel like you just can't stop it? Come boldly to that throne of grace. Come boldly to the Father and be honest with him. Be real with him. Spend that time with him in his word and say, Father, forgive me. Lord, would you do that work in me? And now when this is the life we're living, when we're this type of believer, then we get to be a part of that cloud of witnesses. We get to be like the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Those who waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Family, is that the city that you're looking to? Is that the city that you're fighting for? If we're honest, sometimes as Christians in America... We find ourselves fighting more for the United States of America than for the kingdom of God. We find ourselves, right, we're going out and we're preaching the gospel of conservatism, right? We're preaching the gospel of voting. And those things, they are important. 
We should use the gifts that God has given us in this country. We should use them. But if people are voting and they're not saved, what's the point? If people now vote for your candidate, but they haven't heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what's the point? So again, are we fighting for our earthly world? Or are we fighting for the, the spiritual world which will never be shaken, which will never be moved? Family, which city are you looking to? And that's not that we can care less about this one and we let it go down the drain. But our focus, our time should be fixed on the city of the living God. And what does it tell us in verse 23? We get to be with the innumerable company of angels. And we get to be in the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Some of us were afraid to be registered, right? We don't want anybody knowing who we are. Don't worry, I turned off my updates on my iPhone too, right? We don't want people to know who we are, what we're registered with. But if you're here and you're saved, hey, they got you. You're tracked. You're registered to heaven. We are registered to heaven. Family, do you know that your citizenship, it's not American, it's not Cuban, Puerto Rican, doesn't say illegal alien on your citizenship, right? Your citizenship is in heaven. Are we living like that? Can people hear the difference in our speech? Do people see the difference in our speaking, right? Hispanics, we talk more with our hands than with our mouths, right, if we're honest. Can people see the difference in you, in your culture, in the way you talk, the values you raise your family in? In Philippians chapter 3, it gives us a warning of, again, our citizenship. It gives us a warning of the example that we're following. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21, it tells us, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Right? That's one person. But now verse 20, it tells us, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Again, family, our citizenship, it's in heaven. It's not of this world. Where is your home? Where is your citizenship? Where are you going to be spending the vast majority of your life? Where is it going to be? It's not going to be here, family. It's not going to be on this planet. It's not going to be on this country. Right? We, we tell the kids in middle school and in high school and college, hey, work hard now. You're not going to regret it later. Work hard now. You're not going to regret it later. And then what did I do? I didn't work hard, and now I regret it later, right? You didn't realize if you get good grades, you get scholarships. You get paid to go to school. You don't work hard. You don't get good grades. You got to pay for school, right? We don't realize those things. And the Lord, he reminds us, hey, this is not everything, Right? How many of us even remember middle school? Any of you remember middle school? Some of you guys because you were in it, right? Some of you guys, you got great memories, right? But how many things were so important and so huge to us in middle school, right? Oh, my goodness, they stole my pogs. What am I going to do? My Charizard, I got stolen. What's going to happen, right? This girl's the woman of my dreams, and she just broke up with me. What am I going to do, right? We laugh. We joke. That was, that was stupid. That wasn't important. And guess what's going to happen to us 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Guess what's going to happen without a shadow of a doubt when we get to heaven? Man, can you believe we made such a big deal out of this? We made such a big deal out of this. Can you believe it? We're here. Everything's perfect. Some, everything's awesome. Can you believe how much time and attention we put to these dumb and fruitless things? Right? And the author of Hebrews, he's warning us, hey, don't think middle school is the most important thing in life. Be focused on your citizenship. Be focused on heaven. One day, as it just tells us here, we will be in the city of the living God.
who he built with his own hands, the heavenly Jerusalem, and around us will be an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly, not of just our church, not just of Calvary chapels, but the general assembly of every church on the planet that has ever existed. The entire bride of Christ will be together crying out, holy, holy, holy. Family, can you, can you put your mind there? Can you put your heart there? Do you cry tears hoping that, Lord, come soon, Jesus? I want to be there so desperately. Because we are registered to heaven. That's our true home. And we will be with the God who judges all. We'll be with those spirits of just men who are made perfect through Jesus Christ, our mediator. Family, are we ready for that? Are we excited for that? Is there a countdown on our phones for that? I know because nobody knows the day or hour. But man, mentally, is there a countdown? Mentally, is there just an excitement a preparation, a getting ready for heaven, for my true home. Is there that excitement within us? Now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, who else is going to be there, right? To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, right? Jesus Christ, our mediator, he's going to be there in heaven, and that's the most important thing of heaven, guys. It's not just that there's no tears. It's not just that there's no pain. It's not just that we're going to see those people that we miss and we long for. If Christ isn't there, it's not heaven. If Christ isn't there, it is not heaven. Just like Moses, God told him, hey, I'm going to give you the angel. I'm going to give you the whole land. I'm going to give you all the blessings, but I can't go with you. And what did Moses say? If you're not going, we're not moving. If you're not going, we're not moving. Listening to a teaching, I was convicted because so many of us, we want to be in America. We want to live in America. But do we even use our religious freedoms? Right now we're fighting for them. Now we're worried about them. Right even now, many of us, we can care less about going to church. It's not that important to us. There are many more things that are more important than going to church. To many believers, move to another country. Why is America so important then? You can exercise being a Christian the same way in every other country on the planet. Or are we truly living not just for this life, but for the life to come? Do men and women know who we belong to? Do men and women know where our citizenship really belongs to? Right? And we're proud of our country. People, they put different flags on their cars. They get different tattoos of their flags. Are we proud of our citizenship? Are we proud of our heritage? Are we excited? Are we blessed that we're a part of the kingdom of God? Is that our excitement? That Jesus is our mediator? It tells us that the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. There's two things here. First, we know Abel's blood, it cried out for vengeance over his death. But the blood of Christ, it cries out for mercy. It cries out for grace for those who believe. Jesus crying at the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But the author here, he's not speaking of Abel's blood versus Christ's blood. Because then hopefully we know there's no contest there. It's speaking of the sacrifice. Abel, he was the first one to really show us that sacrifice there. Showing us what true sacrifice meant in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. But now the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, is the absolute best. Because now we don't have to go back and sacrifice each time we sin. Once and for all, Christ has died and resurrected for our sins. Once and for all, he has done it, paid in full. And again, what's the context of all this? Don't be like Esau. Don't be like Esau. Don't be like the people of Israel who turned away from the Lord, who forsook him, who were too focused on the spirit, on the physical blessings of this life that they forgot about, they could care less about, they would rather trade, right, the bowl of lentejas, no matter how good it is. It's never worth the spiritual blessings that God has for us. And where is our priority? Right? Dads, where's the priority in your home? Are you putting up treasures in heaven? Are you pouring out your heart to develop godly characteristics in your sons and daughters? Or is it all about the physical things? All about the money, right? All about the stocks during the season, right? Whatever it may be, what does your family know you as? The man that's all about the physical, man about this realm. The man all about the lazy boy or the fishing boat. 
Or were you a man of God? Hey, I want to be like my dad because my dad loved Jesus Christ. My dad showed me the agape love of Jesus Christ. And there's a warning to us for forsaking God, for being like Esau who forsook the spiritual blessings for physical ones. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 23, you could just write it down. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be ridden in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Again, the author of Hebrews, he's warning these new believers, hey, don't forsake the Lord. Don't give up. Don't go back. If you forsake him, you will be ashamed. It's more important to have your life written in heaven and your citizenship in heaven than your life to be written on this earth and a part of this planet. Because, verse 25, what does it tell us? See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Family, have we been refusing him speaking to us? Has the Lord been speaking to us something and we're just refusing it? Or just saying, la, 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 I don't want to hear that, right? Lord, I can't do that right now. The cost is too much. Lord, I can't do that with my kids right now. What are they going to think? Lord, I can't do that with my family right now. What are they going to think? Family, don't refuse him, right? They didn't escape who refused him who spoke on earth. We know Moses was the mediator there, and he spoke for the Lord to the people because they refused to hear from God themselves. Now, Jesus himself is the one who speaks to us today. The Holy Spirit is the one wooing us and speaking to us, softening our hearts, trying to bring us and lead us to Christ. But will we listen? Or are we just hardening our hearts? Are we just filling our lives with more sin and more vices? And instead of laying down sins and weights, we're looking for every sin and weight we can throw on top of us, saying, hey, I can still do it. I can still do it. And again, Moses, he was an imperfect man. He was a murderer. He was raised in the home of the enemy of God's chosen people. And yet because they didn't listen to Moses, they suffered severe consequences. They didn't get into the promised land. How much more we, hearing Christ Jesus himself, who is perfect, who was murdered for our sins, who stepped down from the throne room of God, what will be our excuse to not obey him? The one who has loved us more than anyone else. The one who formed us and knit us in our own mother's womb. What will be our excuse to not hear him? What will be our excuse for refusing to listen to him? The man who gave you your spouse. The man who gave you your kids. The man who allowed you to be born or brought into this country. What will be your excuse for refusing to hear from him? The sin was too important. The flesh looked too good. I couldn't give up these physical things. Family, friend, there's going to be a price to pay for not hearing the Lord. Mark chapter 9, verse 7, God himself, it says, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Again, God cries out even to us today, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Why do they want to burn Bibles and not dictionaries, right? Why do they want to burn Bibles and not the Book of Mormons? Why do they want to burn Bibles and not Playboy magazines? It's because they want to fight and strive with God. They don't want to be held under the judgment and rule and authority of God. And that's why those are the things that get burned. That's why those are the things that get thrown out right away as men and women rise with more and more sin. Verse 27 through 29, it tells us, Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. 
Again, family, this world, it's being shaken right now. And one day will be completely shaken. And only the things which God has built to last for all of eternity will remain. Every soul, every single one of you. I got good news and bad news. The good news is that you're living for all of eternity. The bad news is it's either a good place to live or a bad place to live, right? But the good news is you can accept Jesus Christ and you can live in the perfect place. You don't have to be in hell for all of eternity. But will you listen Will you accept him? Are we receiving the kingdom which cannot be shaken? Or are we so focused and fixed on keeping this kingdom that is being shaken and thrashed around? Family, where are you at, right? I don't know if you've ever gone tubing before. It's pretty fun. It's like a low-key form of punishment, right? But you go tubing, you have a boat or a jet ski that's pulling you on an inflatable raft that you should be in a lazy river, but instead you're going 20 miles an hour on it, right? And what's the person in the boat doing? They're trying to shake you. They're trying to knock you off. And there comes a time on the raft that if you're wise, you know it's time to let go, right? When you're on your side, when you're being thrashed around and you're still holding on, it's time to let go. And if we're honest, there are many believers who are desperately trying to hold on to this world when we're way past it. It's time to let go. It's time to be focused on heavenly things. It's time to be focused on spiritual things. And God's word promises us we should be living like, the, like Proverbs tells us to live. The righteous will never be begging for bread. The righteous, their sons, will never be forsaken. So which are we more consumed with, right? Are we prepping our whole homes with sachicha and spam, right? We're getting ready. Or are we going out there preaching to the whole world the gospel? Because what did Christ command us to do, right? What was Christ's last words to his disciples? Prepare and get ready for war? No, that wasn't it. It was go out through the whole world and make disciples. Go out through the whole world and tell people to follow you as you follow Christ. Verse 28, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And because of that, we should have grace. Let us show gratitude. Family, how are you treating other people? How are you treating your walk with the Lord? Is there grace, right? Are you being gracious during this season? Are you being gracious to your other brothers, your other sisters? Are you being gracious to this world? Or are you, you have like a t-shirt, right? And it says Mount Sinai, right? And you're there for the pain. You're there for the law. Or are we showing grace? Are we showing gratitude? Why? Because we need this grace. We need this gratitude if we want to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. There's some people who serve at church, not here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, right? But they're the sheriff of Nottingham, right? And they're here to, again, bring the pain. They're Mount Sinai here in the house, and they're here to bring law and order, and there's zero grace. That shouldn't be us. We should be filled with grace, filled with mercy. Again, there's order with the Lord, but there's grace and mercy. We need to have that grace and kindness and gratitude so that we can serve God acceptably, right? With reverence, with respect to God, with godly fear for, right? Because God is a consuming fire. He's reminding them at the end, hey, we're blessed. We don't have to go to Mount Sinai. We can go to Mount Zion. But don't you forget it. Our God is still that consuming fire of righteousness. And if you're here and you're playing around with sin, that is the God you're going to deal with. It is the consuming fire, the lightning, the thunder, the smoke, the ashes, the touching the sin, and you croak. That is the God you're going to deal with. But now if you're following him, if you're abiding with him, if you're in a relationship and friendship with him, we get to cry out to him like sons and daughters crying out, Abba, Daddy, would you help me? Again, family, which God do you want to deal with here? James chapter 1 will close there. It reminds us how we should be living as believers with that grace, with that gratitude so that we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because he is a consuming fire. James chapter 1 verse 26 and verse 27, it tells us, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble 
and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Man, family, God's word is it's relevant to today. What does your religion look like? What do your works look like? Is it kindness? Is it grace? Again, are you, is your, your Facebook, your Instagram, right, your TikTok for however long that lasts, right? It's just the pouring of God's grace pouring out of it? Or is it just religion? Is it just law? Is it just gnashing at the teeth? Are we being kind to one another, right? Are we bridling our own tongue? Is that not important for us today? Everywhere, right? People, they're not bridling their tongue. People, they just want to say everything, like a loose cannons. They think the internet is not real life, right? And it's not, but there's still consequences for what you say on there. Are we bridling our tongue? Are believers bridling their tongue? Are we so consumed with religion, with laws, and with work that will help us feel better about ourselves, or work that will make us push other people down to then feel better about ourselves? Is that what we're about? If we're honest, that's what a lot of people are about today. They're saying, hey, you're a terrible person for doing X, Y, or Z, and now I'm way better than you, right? If they'd be honest, if there'd, be no, if there'd truly be no filter there. But what does it tell us in verse 27? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to call out other Christians on Facebook? No, it's not that. To whine and complain about other churches? It's not that. To whine about the government? It's not that. It's to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Family, is that you? Are you unspotted from this world? Are you unspotted? Have you been able to run through all the insanity of this world and there's not a spot on you? Right? You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in the midst of the furnace and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Is that us? Because that's who we should be as we're being filled with the word of God, as we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The picture of oil. We can live in this world and be unspotted from it. Is that truly who we are? Are we looking to help out widows, right? Help those that can't help themselves. I don't know how many Christians are out there calling the needy, calling those who need help, right? It's tough right now to go into prisons, but are we calling? Are we helping? Or through our religiosity, have we created a new season of being Pharisees? That we're just here to call out other people for the wrong they're doing, and yet we are white washed tombs who are we right hopefully we're not esau we're looking to our spiritual kingdom our citizenship right our anchor right is all in the lord it's in heaven so family may we live in that and if we're convicted if we say oof man that was a cocotazo today right that was bad come boldly to the throne of grace just be honest with the lord he sees your sin he sees your mistakes he sees your brokenness he already knows what's going on in your head he sees the sin Right? He sees the chocolate all over your face that you're trying to hide as that little kid. He sees it. He sees the fear and anxiety that you're dealing with. He sees the brokenness. He sees the pride, the envy, the anger. He sees it. So let's just be honest with him. Let's just say, Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, help me to walk in these truths. Help me, Lord, to have that grace and mercy and kindness. Because, Lord, that's what drew me to repentance with you. It wasn't the law. It wasn't your fire. It wasn't the power of God. It was your kindness that you would love me and forgive me even though I didn't deserve it.